Welcome to the Cult of Doe Mysticity Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Ashley. And today we're talking about Peter Abelard and Eloise. Is it a love story? Is it just creepy? But we're dealing with the 11th century in France, so who knows? So probably who both. Knows, Ashley? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to tell you this very interesting story that I discovered when I got to teach Western Civ, not once, but twice. And mind you, this is Western Civ up to 1500. So, you know, we're hitting all the good stuff. We get the plague. The greatest hits. Uh, <laughs> yes. According to my favorite professor, Dr. Goldie, it is the greatest hits. Um, so this one's for you. We're going to begin with Peter Abelard. He was born, and mind you, all these dates are approximate. We're talking early 11th century. We're not going to go with very, some of them are exact dating. Some of them dates have been moved around since. So we're just go with it. Okay. So Abelard's born in 1079 near Nantes, France. Nantes? Nantes. Not, 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 but good try. <laughs> I don't speak French, so you're welcome. It's fine, I do. Um, Continue. Abelard credits his volatile temperament to his native soil in northern France and his ancestry and his natural ability for learning. You know, normal stuff. This is all, he wrote a letter telling of his, um, the letter is titled, oh wait for it, it's a goodie, Historia Calamitum. So we're going to get really into this. He cites that his father was a knight and educated his son and Abelard was the oldest of several sons. However, he renounced his military life and in his inheritance as the oldest son. You know, it's a big fucking deal to do in the 11th century to say, I'm not going to be the, the inheritor of all this wealth and land stuff. I'm going to go educate myself. And why did he do this? He was really smart. Okay. And, there was no other reason he liked learning more than military life. Fair enough, but yeah, universities are just starting to be a thing. They're not really a big thing at this time, and you, you're like, he's like, I'm going to go and do this. And he travels around his province. He first is educated by Rosalind between around 1093, 1099. Who knows, really? It's not like six years makes a big difference or anything. It's fine. But yeah, between those two points, he was educated by a logician, logic person. Thank you for dumbing it down for us simple folks. I can't pronounce <laughs> it, so we're going to go with that. He um, was a very smart, logical man. We'll go with Smart, logical man, Rosalind, ed- educated him. And <laughs> so that's where he impressive. gets the base education. And this is also where he starts to become a tool. Starts I'm just to? Go with it. He called it historic calamitous. That's pretty tool. Okay, he writes this later in his life. So I'm going to go oh, with this okay. when he starts to become a tool. Like, okay. He, I see what you he mean. realizes he's super smart and all of that, so he's getting really confident. Then around 1100, Abelard goes to Paris, and he he's taught by William of Champagneux. You were probably closer the first time. Yeah, I'm going to go with Champagneux. Okay. More fun to say. <laughs> um, in his calamitous he wrote he set out to refute some of his arguments William's arguments and frequently reasoned against him 
on several occasions, I proved myself his superior debate. This was the beginning of the misfortunes which have dodged me to this day. And as my reputation grew, so did other men's jealousies was aroused. Oh my God, he is a tool. (laughs) (laughs) I may have had to refrain when I taught this from calling him Abelard the asshole. I I highly suggest reading the actual, like his, at least his calamitous is probably available online, but Oh, it's good. It's real good. (laughs) So sorry for laughing. Um, I had to move out of my normal recording space up into my room and I got a microphone so I might have sound a little better than I normally do. Unfortunately, she sounds way too much better. Back to Eloise. Back, back. Sorry, this interruption, but it's necessary. (laughs) Historians traditionally date Eloise's birth to around 1100, 1101, you know, fuzzy dates. I'm going to call, they're now called fuzzy dates. We're going with it. All right. I like it. Fuzzy dates, TM. It's a thing. Let's go. Yeah, however, interestingly, depending on when you want, how old you want to say Eloise is at, at the time she meets Abelard, you can say she her possible birth date is around 1090 Ooh, as what? well. Oh, that is a fuzzy date. Ooh. Fuzzy dates. Fuzzy dates. It's still creepy. It's creepy Abelard, either way. Abelard is, remember, 1079. So she and, was born in 1090. That's still 21 years older, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. And we're going to go with 1100, so that's 31. Yeah. Right? Just, I don't know. I'm not good it, at math. Just let it, just let it sink just let it wash over you. Take a minute. Wash over you. Yuck. Okay. So. That is a whole person you, able to drink in the United States older. Yeah. Yeah, right. it is. All right. Okay, let's, let's move on. With it. They're not together yet. She's a baby. Remember, she's Good. a baby at this point. I would hope they're not together at this point. Ew. It's your worse. <laughs> <laughs> Around 1102 to 1105, Abelard becomes the master of his own school at Melanin. I believe you mean Melan <laughs> or Melon. Melon? Melon. Like a fruit. Uh, I'm going to sure, go Sure. If that helps. Okay. Well, he. He stated about his school that the results of the fame of my fellow s- students and even the mas- that of the master himself gradually declined and came to an end. Consequently, my self-confidence rose still higher, and I made haste to transfer my school to Corbiel, a town nearer to Paris, where I could embarrass him through more frequent encounters in Disputation. I just want to throw so in. Bas- it's pronounced Corbet. You're Sorry. Welcome. Continue. <laughs> so basically, Abelard is just trying to pick fights with William now. Again. Just for shits and giggles? Or? Yeah. Just just because he's like, I'm better than everyone else. We all know this person. So he's Sheldon. I'm better. Yes. <laughs> he's Sheldon, but without Leonard to temper him. Yes. Okay. He's Sheldon plus an extra Sheldon. However, the reason why Abelard isn't getting the shit beat out of him yet. He could or could not be getting the shit beat out of him in the future. He's an asshole. <laughs> I know, he's dead. He doesn't care. He doesn't care uh, what uh, I yeah, say no. about him. He's dead. Send me your hate mail. <laughs> so the re- reason why Abelard the asshole probably isn't getting his ass kicked yet, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Actually, who knows? You know. I do know. I do know. I have read this book three times now. It's because he would probably, under the protection of the king. Minister Stephen de Garay, 
Garland. Garland. I'm trying to make this French here. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep going. However, our brave asshole, Abelard. <laughs> I'm just the image of a wandering asshole that's just burned into my retinas right now. <laughs> Please keep that. Um, yes, Abelard between 11.05, 11.08 becomes ill from overwork and is re- forced to return home to oh, recover. My heart bleeds for him. You know, who the guy who likes to just fight everyone. But through debate. It's like debate fights. That would be hard work. Yeah, so it's all mental fighting. There's no (laughs) swords. Unfortunate. He needs a sword or two in his life. No, remember, he gave up that life. Okay. He finally returns to Paris in 1108, and he challenges... Oh, yes, you thought he was done? No, he challenges his former teacher, William of Champeau. No. Champeau. Champeau. (laughs) <laughs> it's no, more fun it's not okay um you're so, just you're oh. just really like annoying me with improper french pronunciation don't you <laughs> i like to poke fun at you i'll record something at the end so that way you can put it in and be like all the french that is butchered is just to piss off ashley it but feel mostly, free to send me hate right it was mostly done on purpose abelard wrote within a few days of my taking over the teaching of dialectics, William was eaten up with jealousy and consumed with anger to, to an extent it is difficult to convey. And being unable to control the violence of his resentment for long, he made a more artful attempt to banish me. Yeah, this is legitly a quote that he wrote. Artful attempt? Yes. Is there painting what is- and sculpture involved? Uh, no. I hope. Nope, there was no art involved. Well, that's just sad. I know. I so, what is the artful attempt, you're wondering? I am wondering. It was not real art. William attempted to remove any of Abelard's supporters from the school and place it into the hands of his rivals. This is legitimately written like a superhero thing, where he has rivals and he's fighting everyone. I mean, at this point... That does not surprise me. But of course, Abelard's writing that his reputation is still spreading. He's still being known for his great philosophy and logic and all of that. Which, I mean, he's still known for today, so it's not wrong. He's just kind of an asshole. (laughs) He's not wrong, but we don't like him anyway. Yeah, we don't... I'm not a fan of him. So, after this fight, Abelard decides to set up his own school between 1110 and 1112. He's master of his own school at the Abbey Mont Saint Genevieve. Mont Saint Genevieve. This is why I don't speak French. <laughs> okay. So he's still in Paris, you know, a nice rock throwing gypsy distanced from William. Seems healthy. Seems very healthy for him. Great, and great he wrote choice. Yeah, great life choices. Oh, just wait. He wrote, set up camp there in order to lay siege to my usurper. The news, yeah, of the chair have, of his old school. Have the a news usurper when you aren't royalty. He got you're kicked just, out of his chair. You're just a dick. Oh. It's not a usurper. Yes. So the guy who 
replaced his him in dialectics has Abelard really close by and Abelard wrote the news brought William back to Paris in an unseemly haste to restore such scholars as remained to him and his community to their former monastery apparently to deliver from my siege the knight whom he had abandoned but his good intentions did the very man serious harm yeah it's basically imagine west side story style fighting but with academics and their fighting is through debate okay and words it's all words just when you thought west side story couldn't be any dirtier less cool here comes here comes courtney and ashley ruining it even further (laughs) you're welcome indeed okay but then you know 11 13 comes and abelard goes to leon and he got that one I got it! You did. Yay! <laughs> to study divinity with Anselm of Leon. Anselm. Uh, Anselm. 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 <laughs> I'm going to punch you through Anselm. the screen. <laughs> Please keep that part in. I'm gonna. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. So, Anselm, my favorite... Anselm, yep. Pretty close. Anselm Anselm is this well-known, like, academic, but, of course, being Abelard, (laughs) That shit ain't gonna fly. (laughs) Oh, just wait. So he's studying with him, which basically means, you know, it's like college. You go to lectures, you listen Mm -hmm. to them. Except for there's no, it's no, like, call and response style lecture. It's uh, just someone spewing words at you. Awesome. I bet that's really effective. I'm gonna go with no. (laughs) <laughs> so Abelard wrote about Anselm that the fire he kindled filled his house with smoke did not light it up he w- he was a tree full, full uh, in foley which could be seen from afar but on closer and more careful inspection proved to be barren that's mean what that's a, pretty mean what a dick again I call him <laughs> Abelard the asshole I get very it. smart man but an asshole no tact None at all. No. So basically, Abelard's like, oh, this guy is not that good. He stops attending class as frequently, you know, college. I was going to say, that sounds like a real undergrad move. Yeah. Mind I say you, that having done that very thing as an undergrad, but you know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> at this point, he's, let me do the math. He's 35. Oh, come on, dude. So 35, he's attending class irregularly of this famous academic. And all of Ansel's students begin to turn against Abelard, and they turn Ansel against Abelard. Yeah, because he's and that know, guy. And we know where it's going. Where do you think this is going, Ashley? Nowhere fun for Abelard. Actually, it's kind of fun. Um, never lecture off, pretty much. <laughs> what a nerd. I love it. I love it. Yes. So they basically, they go to Abelard, they're like, here, take this obscure text and lecture on it. And he does it really well. He's smart. And and they're all just like, oh, that was a misstep. (laughs) Yeah, so basically Abelard's fame continues to grow. He's, you know, smart dude. Uh, 11-14, he establishes himself as a master in Paris for the Cathedral of Notre Dame. 
Da da da. <laughs> yeah, that one right too. But I'm deducting a half a point for the dramatic enactment of the name. So he's doing really well there. He's, you know, teaching and all that jazz, lecturing. Mm-hmm. As, and he, he, as one does. As one does. And he writes, but success always puffs up the fools with pride and, the, and worldly security weakens the spirit's resolve and easily destroys it through carnal temptation. I began to think myself the only philosopher in the world with nothing to fear from anyone, so I yielded to the lust of the flesh. Just straight up solipsism. He's the only real person. Everyone else is fake or is not actually in existence. And he's just the only. What an asshole. My goodness. Thanks for that last <sighs> podcast on the left education right, right. No, fight right there, Ashley. And you're welcome. Um, Thank you. So where does this leave Abelard? Well, in between 1115 and 1117, Abelard seduces Eloise when lodging in her uncle's for Fulbert's house. Such a so dumb name. He's staying with her uncle. She's like yes. 21 years younger than him. How old do you personally think she was at that time? So let's calculate it because I bought my calculator out because I suck at math. <laughs> so we're going to go with the 1100 date of her birth, okay. which is actually easier math. Right. Uh, she's Round like numbers. Fif- 15 at the time. Okay. Little, little creepy. Ew. Yeah. And so he just completely takes advantage of her uncle's hospitality and of her because he's so, so full of himself. Well, well, I let's hear him in his own words. Okay. Do we have to? Oh, it is good. It is. <laughs> I, I can't. The thing is, I would summarize it for you. But, but his words are just so good that you lose it if you take him out of his own i get it let's put it according to one of my students he said it's like when you you're in high school and you see the senior dating the high school freshman yeah except it's actually it's actually the gym teacher dating a high school freshman yeah pretty much (laughs) there was in paris at the time a young girl named eloise the niece of fulbert one of the canons and was so much loved by him that he had done everything in his power to advance her education and letters. In looks, she did not rank the lowest, while in the extent of her learning, she stood supreme. A.K. She's not a looker, but she's really smart. A gift for letters is so rare in women that it greatly added to her charm and had made her the most renowned throughout the realm. Abelard continues his loveliness by saying, I considered all the usual attractions for a lover and decided she was the one to to bring to my bed confident that i should have an easy success for at the time i had youth and exceptional good looks as well as my great reputation to recommend me and feared no rebuff from any woman that i might choose to honor with my love i really just want to stab this guy in the eye with a pencil (laughs) done yet knowing the girl's knowledge and love of letters i thought would be all the more ready to consent and that even when separated we can enjoy each other's company with the present by exchange of written messages in which we could write many things more audaciously than we could say them and so never need a lack of the pleasures of conversation i mean on the one hand it's nice that back in that time period he was like i like her for her brain as well as her tits but at the same time he's such a just so arrogant about it that like i just i i want to stab him in the eye with his own quill do you want me to continue i mean yeah so he continues all on fire with desire for the girl i saw it an opportunity 
of getting to know her through private daily meetings and so more easily winning her over. And with this end in view, I came to an arrangement with her uncle with the help of some of his friends, whereby he would take me into his house, which was very near my school, for whatever sum he liked to ask. As a pretext, I said that my household cares were hindering my studies and the expense was more than I could afford. Fulbert dearly loved money and was more and moreover am- always ambitious to further his niece's education in letters, two weaknesses which made it easy for me to gain his consent and obtain my desire. He was all eagerness for my money and confident that his niece would profit from my teaching. This led him to make an urgent request which furthered my love and fell in with my wishes more than I dared to hope. He gave me complete charge over the girl so that I could devote all the leisure time left left me by my school to teach her by day and night and if I found her idle I was to punish her severely. I was amazed by his simplicity. If he had entrusted a tender lamb to heavenous wolf it would not have surprised me more it's an interesting way to characterize himself but all right think of it as the relationship in 50 shades of gray minus the bdsm from what he said about what happens when he finds their idol it sounds like it's just straight up 50 shades of gray well we don't know we weren't there i mean yeah that's true are you ready to see how this goes yeah and these are his own words i'm not making this shit up he wrote this <laughs> down okay need i say more we were united first under one roof then in one heart and so with our lessons as a pretext, we abandoned ourselves entirely to love. Her studies allowed us to withdraw in private as love desired. And then with our books open before us, more words of love than our readings passed between us and more kissing than teaching. My hand strayed oftener to her bosom than to the page. Love it drew- really is Fifty Shades of Grey. It's <laughs> just as badly written, just as skeevy. <laughs> Let me keep going. I got to get through this paragraph. I'm sorry, go. Continue. Love drew our eyes to look on each other more than reading kept them on our text. To avert suspicions, I sometimes struck her, but these blows were prompted by love and tender feeling rather than anger and irritation, and were sweeter than any balm could be. In short, our desires left no stage of lovemaking untried, and if I, if love could devise something new, we welcomed it. We entered each on each joy the more eagerly for our previous inexperience and were the less easily sated. So just think about this. He has a school. He's uh-huh. still teaching at a school. While he's pulling the shenanigans. Yeah. Uh. You want me to continue? <sighs> less and less every time you ask me that, but yeah. <laughs> Go on. Now, the more I was taken up with these pleasures, the less time I could give to the philosophy and less t- the less attention I paid to school. It was utterly boring for me to have to go to the school and equally wearisome to remain there and spend my days on studying when my nights were sleepless with lovemaking. Oh, poor baby. As my interest and con- concentration flagged, my lectures lacked all the inspiration and were merely repetitive. I could do no more than repeat what had been said long ago Where, and when so- inspiration did not come to me, it was when the inspiration did come to me, it was for writing love songs, not the secrets of philosophy. All right. So, you know, remember, he's still living under her uncle's house. Ruth, you know, he's living there. He's supposed to be teaching her. Mm-hmm. There were air quotes thrown up there. You're welcome. Oh, they were heavily implied. Don't you worry. Okay. <laughs> so, do you think Fulbert knows that 
I don't think Fulber knows much of anything, but I think he's probably going to find out. He's probably not going to be real stoked about it. Yeah, people keep trying to tell me, be like, hey, we think Abelard's uh, dipping his quill in Eloise's ink, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Is that inappropriate? Probably, I enjoyed it. Probably no less inappropriate than the relationship itself, so it's fine. Okay, so people are trying to tell her uncle, who's a canon, which is basically a priest, yes. I believe so. He's 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 pretty high in society. Yeah. Uh, so the uncle discovers them, mm-hmm. you know, because they're doing it in his house. Right. Bound to happen. happen. They're separated. Good. Um, they still find time to be together. You know, Romeo and Juliet S. if Romeo was a lot older. You know, normal. Yeah. Um, but Ashley, what ruins always secret love affairs that are slowly becoming public? Uh, the loss of secrecy and or a child. Well, we have... A- Ah, Eloise is pregnant. Yay. Oh, I was right on both counts. <laughs> yeah. So imagine like, it's not 18 and pregnant. It's more like 17 or 16 and pregnant. It's like 17, 18 and pregnant. Still not great. Especially if she's not supposed to, she's not married, so she's not supposed to be doing the do with anybody. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, it could be around the right time at that period. You know, oh. so yeah. So Abelard finds out from Eloise. She writes him a nice letter, like, "Hey, guess what? I'm pregnant with your child. What should I do?" And what does he do? Does he tell her, "Sorry, new phone, who dis?" <laughs> so he wrote, "One night, then, when her uncle was away from home, I removed her secretly from his house. So much more dramatic." as we had planned, and sent her straight to my own country. There she stayed with my sister until she gave birth to a boy whom she named Astrolabe. Do you know what an Astrolabe is? I think I do, but I'm betting you're going to tell me I'm wrong. Okay, just tell me what you think it is. Isn't that they use it when they're stargazing to, like, measure distances by the stars? Yeah! Okay. So basically, this is a new technology. Okay. And they named their kid after it. So it's like someone today naming their kid iPhone 8. Yeah, so I think OG celebrity baby names. Okay. Because you know that kid got made fun of a lot. Oh, yeah. So it's the Apple Paltrow of the 1100s. Yeah, and the best part is they don't really talk about him for a long, long time in their letters. They're just like, oh, right, that kid. Yeah. Um, that poor kid. Good Lord. So essentially, if I remember correctly, they just he, he just becomes like the ward of his sister, and then they don't really talk about him. Of whose sister? Of Abelard. Eloise's sister? Or of Abelard's sister? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Eloise so he goes really to live with... Have any siblings. Okay. He goes to live with his aunt. Yeah. Okay. As her child, you know. Right. Really Great. some Jack Nicholson stuff right there. You know, good Catholic stuff. That's what we do. Fine. So, of course, Fulbert finds out, because, you know... Well, yeah, has, she so. just disappears for nine months or however long. Yeah, and, you know, what do you think he wants to happen? He probably chops off... Well, he probably doesn't do it himself, but he probably has Abelard castrated. That's what I would do. No, he wants them to marry. I mean, he's, that's another way you could go with it. He's like, fine, you got my you got my niece pregnant. Put Might a ring well, on it. Right. Might as well do it. But, okay, so Abelard goes and he's like, fine, I'll marry her. Fulbert, I'll marry your niece. Right. Okay. El- so. Eloise doesn't want to. Two reasons are the risk involved and the disgrace to Abelard. Wait, what risk? You've already had a kid by him. I'd say you've encountered most of the risk already. Well, she thinks it'll dishonor them both and um, humiliate them both, and her uncle won't be satisfied. But it's her uncle's idea. He just wants some honor restored, but she's like, he's not going to say that's enough honor restored, you know? Uh, okay. So she's thinking, even though it's his idea, she knows that he won't see it as enough. 
Or maybe she just knows Abelard's a dick. And I mean, like, that's that's what I would hope if she's really as smart as Abelard says she is. Maybe she's um, starting to see through his bullshit for a little bit. Yeah, and then the reason why she thinks it'll be damaging to him is all the great like academics at this time were unmarried men. Yeah, They're either in the clergy or they're unmarried academics. So she's like, this will hurt you even more. And so let's I mean, not do it. There's something somewhat honorable in that she doesn't seem to consider her own reputation when she's taking it into account yeah she's only worried about his but at the same time girl i mean you already did it it's already done you may as well own up to it and if you love him you should probably should marry him anyway so she agrees to marry in secret okay so So when she does it but she doesn't want anyone to know about it yeah. Sort of defeats the purpose of doing it. A little if bit. If you're doing it to save your reputation. Yeah. Um, but then Fulbert, you know, good old Fulbert, Fulbert mm-hmm. wants it public because everyone knows yeah. basically she got pregnant. That's the whole point. That was the whole reason he wanted them to do it, to get married, was so that yeah. the public would know. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I think Abelard probably, it seems like he would have been okay with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Eloise, again, is like, no, let's not. We'll, um, she said, we shall both be destroyed. All that is left to us is suffering as great as our love has been. So she pretty much just does things backwards where she does them and then she's like, no, no one can know that we've done this, even though we absolutely headlong did this. I think it's also she just knows, like, she loves him. I mean, there's that too. She clearly does, since she doesn't want to do it because she knows it will damage his career. But I also think, think she knows, like, his career is based on him fighting other people academically. Yeah. And if she takes away his credibility from a moral standpoint, then he's going to lose every single brain battle he's in. Because they're going to be like, this dude is married. It's, he doesn't matter. Yeah. So as news comes out that they're married, which was most likely, I mean, Abelard accuses Fulbert of spreading it, which is probably true. Probably. Most likely. Um, And basically, he also accuses Fulbert of, he said, heaped abuse on her several occasions. So either beating her or something. It's like not really Mm. clear what type of abuse. But either way, not great. Yeah. So pot calling the kettle black there, considering he did the same thing. So he wrote, as soon as I discovered this, I removed her to the convent of nuns in the town near Paris called Argentu, where she had been brought up and educated as a small girl. And I also made for her a religious habit of the type worn by novices with the exception of the veil and made her put it on. So basically he's making her hide as a nun. Okay. Props to you for pronouncing that 100% correctly, by the way. You nailed it. Um, so basically he again spirits her off. Hides her in the nunnery to protect her from Fulbert. To the How do you think Fulbert's gonna take it? Not well. He keeps yeah. He keeps like stealing her away from Fulbert. After a certain but they're technically point, married. I know, but if they're still living under Fulbert's roof, it's True. still even if he's not 
by the law her guardian, he's still in practice her guardian. So taking her away without even like being telling him, this is where we're going, you stuck by, you know, Mm -hmm. not cool. Well, basically, Fulbert believes that he's setting her aside. Oh, so it's like first you get my niece. It would not be my first guess is that if they both leave together, that he's like, oh, uh, he's leaving her. Well, it could, because she's in the nunnery, so he thinks he's setting her aside. Uh, so you have the t- okay, I guess, yeah. Sorry. So you have the two offense to the family honor. She's pregnant. You you keep banging her out of wedlock, get her pregnant, <laughs> and then you're going to set her aside. And then after you send her to, an, to a nunnery. Yeah. So, <laughs> how does Fulbert re- react? At this news, her uncle and his kinsmen and followers imagined that I had tricked him and found an easy way of ridding myself of Eloise by making her a nun. Wild with indignation, they swore an oath against me. And one night, as I slept peacefully in their room in my lodgings, they bribed one of my servants to admit them, and there they punished me with the most cruel and and shameful vengeance of such appalling barbarity as to shook the whole world. They cut off the parts of my body where... I, I had no, committed I, the wrong, I which they had complained. It. Wait, they fled. <laughs> two of them, but two, the two who could be caught were binded, blinded and castrated as I had been. One of them being the servant who had been led by greed while my service to, be, service to betray his master. I mean, okay, so the servant part, yeah, that's kind of fair. Balls for balls, but <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Oh, that would it be just a good took him, <laughs> Right. It just took him a little bit longer to get to that point than it would have taken me. Props to Fulbert. I will give him that. Yeah, so basically... Do you think he mounted those over his mantle or something? Like, like a deer head? Probably. <laughs> They're probably encased in, like, bronze or something. I don't know. Right. And someone will find him one day in a dusty French <laughs> attic or basement. chalet somewhere. Like, yeah. Oh, Adelard, um, Peter Avalard's balls. No big deal. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> so my favorite part about this is basically Abelard said the next morning the whole city is before his house. Basically, they're having like a wake for his, before his house. For his, <laughs> for just he's not even dead. He just suffered grievous bodily harm, and they're like, "We're gonna mourn you." Well, basically, he's been unmanned. I mean, I get that. But at the same time, well, he's still living and breathing. He still yeah. has his big brain that he's so proud of. I mean, well, I think he gets an infection, so he has to, like, he, like, um, I don't know so maybe how they, they didn't know. Him. Maybe they didn't know if he was still alive or not at that point. Yeah, they just know that someone broke into his house, did something to him. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. And all of this but, because... Peter and his giant brain couldn't fathom the idea that Fulbert would understand that they needed to be out on their own somewhere as a married couple. So instead, he's like, let me do this Snidely K whiplash shit. Well, it's not even that. It's like he thought, because at the time, Abelard's not with Eloise. She's just at the nunnery by herself. No, I know. I'm saying before they did that, if he had told him, look, I don't like how you're treating her. We're going out on our own and you need to leave us alone. 
instead of pulling in the charade that leads to him being unmanned, because if he had just said, look, she's not really a nun, I'm not setting her aside, but I'm putting her there for her own protection, they could have avoided yeah. all of this. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, a lot of things in the story. <laughs> sorry. No, it's fine. So basically, he feels horrible. He's basically in giant self-pity mode, you know. I mean, um, that seems like a natural reaction to that, though. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't know, but... I mean, I wouldn't either. But it would make sense logically to be like, poor yeah. me. So they both go into the religious order. So she went to Argentil, mm-hmm. and he went to the Abbey of St. Denis. Saint Denis. I'm going to punch you through the screen. It's going to happen. Dennis. <sighs> <laughs> and you should know, Eloise could have been a nun earlier. She didn't want to oh, yeah. be a nun. So basically, Abelard's recovering. He's like, I'm recovering from my wounds. And he starts to teach again. Mm-hmm. In, and they're like, we should, you should educate the poor. You know, Christian mission mm-hmm. so he's he's in the the abbey of dinny um <laughs> you're getting closer and he wrote on several occasions i spoke out boldly in criticism of their intolerability foul practices both in private and in public as they wanted you know and made myself such a burden and nuisance <laughs> to all of them. They gladly seized on the daily inopportunities of my pupils as a pretext at, from having me removed from their midst. And then he gets accused of heresy for the first time. Oh, do tell. So he reopens the debate on the Trinity. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a big one you don't screw with. Yeah, and remember, this is before... Uh, Martin Luther. The previous like big one was around the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, fun fact: Council of Nicaea, Saint Nicholas, yes, the one that oh. inspired Santa Claus, punched a heretic. Yeah, he did because of this. He sure yeah. did. That's my favorite um, Saint Nicholas story. Just yeah, punching so people in the face. <laughs> It's basically, he's bringing up Arianism, not Mm. spelled like white supremacy. Right. It's with an I, not a Y. Yeah. Basically, they're discussing whether the Trinity, and this was in, is it, 325 AD. Right. So, you know. Yep. Council of Nicaea was where they established the official canon, I think. Where they established the official canon of the books that made it to the Bible and which ones didn't. So it was basically deciding what's heresy and what's not. Yeah, and they decided on this concept of the Mm -hmm. Trinity because it had been debated. And so, you know, I mean, it kind of had been debated a little bit, but, like, the nuances. Right. They had a general agreement of, yes, there is a Trinity, but they were Mm -hmm. trying to flesh out the teachings on who constitutes it and how it works. Yeah. So basically it ends up like he complains to the Bishop of Paris about it in 1121. Yeah. He could go straight to the Bishop of Paris to complain about it. Right. And 
And then in 1121, Abelard's book on the Trinity, Theologia, so the next year pretty much, is burned by the Council of Sosoms. <laughs> Wait, they straight up burned it? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. They straight up burned it. And I love the Catholic Church. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's basically, he just keeps taking these freaking fights, and you're just like, it's like, it's, it's like it's, yeah, and mind you i keep i'm like rushing through how many fights he picks and going in the in depth of mm-hmm. it because he keeps picking these fights about it and he edits the book and he so then he starts getting into greater fights because he's fighting with the abbot of saint denis and which is also kind of why he got accused of heresy they keep going back and forth and he's fighting with it and they keep sending him back to the abbey well yeah i mean He's wrong, but they're not going to kick him out of the order. Well, plus, like, Abelard's still a famous scholar, so they still have, like, this really well-renowned scholar right. at their abbey, so they want to keep him there. So right. It's, like, a little bit like they're like, we hate you, but you're bringing in people here. Right. So they keep him there. They kind of just keep him, like, you know, show dog him. You're a moneymaker, but we hate your ass. Yeah. Then Abelard flees St. Denis to the protection of Count Theobald of Champagne. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, insults the honor of his abbey. And oh, we yeah. get this whole fighting back and forth. And eventually, in 1122, he gets the permission of the abbot Sugar of St. Denis <laughs> to establish... <laughs> That's an awesome name. Abbot Sugar. Abbot Sugar, yeah. To establish a hermitage near Troyens. Troyens, yep. Troyen, um, where immediately his students join him. He's writing about it. He said... And so I took myself off to a lonely spot I had known before in the territory territory of Troyans. And there, upon a piece of land given to me by leave of the local bishop, I built a sort of oratory of reeds and thatch and dedicated in the name of the Holy Trinity. Here I could stay hidden alone, but for one of my clerks, and truly cry out to the Lord, Lo, I escaped far away and found myself a refuge in the wilderness. And so basically... So Just imagine he, Super Sheldon yeah, living in the woods. Builds his own little hut. mud hut. And all of his, his own hut. Okay, well, his students build it for him, then whatever. But yeah. he builds a hut in the woods, and his students are like, we're coming with you. And he lets them. Yeah, and so basically, there's a lot of them. Like, a lot, a lot of students. Do they all fit in the hut? No, they build their own huts. They, oh. like, basically build a small So they like, build a village. compound. So does he stay at his little hermitage? No. And Eloise is still in the nunnery, too. She works her way up to become an abbot, actually. But... You go, girl. I know. Smart girl. She's going to lead them. Mm-hmm. She can't have to be there. Um, but in 1125, around 27, Avalon abandons his uh, hermitage. And becomes the abbot of St. Gildas, which I'm assuming is where Glenda the Good Witch comes from. <laughs> on the <West> Coast. <laughs> Confirmed. So, St. Gildas is on the west coast of Brittany, which is south of Normandy. So, northwest France. Yes. Okay. Yeah, a lot of Brits there eventually, but anyways, continuing. <laughs> Soon, um, not yet. Well, not yet. Um, but this is a a very interesting abbey. He wrote, the abbey had long been the sub 
been subject to a certain very powerful tyrant in the land who had taken advantage of the disorder in the monastery to appropriate all its adjoining lands for his own use and was extracting heavier taxes from the monks than he would have done from the Jew subjects to tribute. Uh, mind you, in this time, the Jewish population in any city was under protection of their local lord or king, mm-hmm. so they get taxed higher. Right. The monks beset me with demands for their daily needs, though there was no common allowance for me to distribute, but each one of them provided for himself his concubine and his sons and daughters from his own purse. Wait, so they have concubines even though this is after 1048 when they decided the priests were supposed to be celibate because their bastard children were upsetting the um, inheritance of parishes and shit. Yeah. Awesome. This is a really shitty abbey. I'm doing great. Yeah. Um, They took delight in distressing me over this, and they also stole and carried off what they could so they... So that when I had reached the end of my resources, I should be forced to abandon my attempt at enforcing discipline or leave them altogether. The entire savage population of the area was simply lawless and out of control. (laughs) There was no one I could turn to for help since I disapproved equally of the morals of all of them. Outside the (laughs) monastery wall, that tyrant and his minions were never ceasing to harry me. Inside, its monks were always setting traps for me until it seemed that the... Words of the apostles applied especially to my case. Quarrels all around us foreboding in our heart. <laughs> Sounds like something eighth grade me would write on my folder or my trapper keeper. Seems like a MySpace thing. Also, yes. Throwback. Um, <laughs> they did try to poison him a lot. Can't say I blame him. Yeah. Uh, basically, <laughs> he sounds, he's, he's just an asshole. And if he's getting in the way of their fun, yeah, I probably did. Yeah, so basically he's an asshole and, like, a horrible person. But then he's, like, now where he's living, he's basically um, regretting leaving his hermitage. Gosh, I'm struggling at saying this. And on top of it, so his monks are trying to kill him constantly. (laughs) Everyone outside of this place is trying to get him to leave. He is going to run out of money soon. And then he finds out that the abbot of St. Denis (laughs) took possession of the abbey of Argentil, where Eloise is uh, abbess. So what was the pretext for taking control of Argentil? um, It does not say. Okay. Oh, Oh, he claimed it belonged to the monastery by ancient right. You know, that right. Okay. Those rights. Right. All right. Cool. The European standard of I put a flag on it before, so it's mine. (laughs) And he kicks all the nuns out. So where do they go? That's a great question. Um, They go to the hermitage called Parcellette. And Abelard turns it over with the approval of the local bishop to the nuns. And... The Pope confirms it. So, yay! So, he actually went up the proper channels for that, then? Yeah. um, Miracle of miracles. Yeah, uh, approval of the local bishop acting as an intermediary, Mm -hmm. because probably everyone hates him. Um, My deed of gift was confirmed by Pope Innocent II by charter and in perpetuity to them and their successors. 
Okay, that's good. Okay. That happens in 1131. He gives the parcelette to Eloise. Mm-hmm. And then in 1132, he writes this huge, the calamitous, the historia calamitous. Okay. Which is to a friend. his autobiography, right? Yeah, it's his autobiography. It was a letter to his friend. You know who writes autobiographies? Dicks. Assholes. Also, um, yes. There's going to be a giant warning on this one. Oh, absolutely. So he writes this letter and it becomes public. Does he write about the kid in this letter at all? No, he just writes that there is a kid and he writes about Astrolabe. Poor Astrolabe. He probably had a pretty rough life. I mean, maybe not if his father was kept away from him. I mean. I'm just thinking, his one, his name is Astrolabe. Well, yeah, but there were a lot of weird names back in that day. Not uh, as weird as Astrolabe, but there were some weird ones. But I think everyone knew who his parents were, too. Like, it wasn't a secret. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah, basically, like, where their kid is. Like, that. he's like, my sister took care of her, him. And that's it. Like he doesn't. He, he doesn't like, talk about whether they had a relationship or not, or whether he ever saw him. Yeah, basically. Cool. Deadbeat dad. Love it. Yeah. Um. So then, in eleven thirty three, Abelard finally abandons the Abbey of Saint Gildas. So he leaves Glinda's homeland, <laughs> and he returns to Paris to continue teaching. So he's teaching, teaching, teaching for most of this time. Was this a unilateral the, decision, or was he asked to come teach somewhere and took them up on it? I think he just left a little <laughs> bit because, like, okay, I'm I'm brushing over a lot of it, but basically they're trying to kill him a lot of the time. Understandable. Like, up. I get that. I mean, he's a giant dick. Yeah. Yeah, and then in 1133, you'll never guess who wrote him a letter. I bet it was Eloise. It is Eloise. Winner, winner, uh, chicken dinner. Um, so Eloise wrote, and in the book I'm using, it's the letters of Abelard and Eloise. So for, I'm now on the second letter, because the first letter is his clematis. Mm. She writes, To her lord, or rather father, to her husband, or rather brother, from his handmaiden, or rather daughter, from his wife, or rather sister, to Abelard, from Eloise. So- She's on all the drugs. So she writes to him, Not long ago, my beloved, by chance someone had brought me the letter of consolation you had sent to a friend. Private letter being shared around. Not a private letter. <laughs> no, basically he shared it with his friend so it would get around. Um, I saw it once from the superscription that it was yours and was all the more eager to read it since the writer was so dear to my heart. I hoped for renewal of strength, at least from the writer's words, which would picture for me the reality I have lost. But nearly every line of this letter was filled, I remember, with gall and wormwood, as it told the pitiful story of our entry into religion and the cross of unending suffering, which you, my only love, continue to bear. Is she implying that she no longer considers it suffering? Or what, what is she getting at here? Let's remind you, um, she goes into the nunnery in 18. Mm-hmm. They start writing in 33. So what happened in the intervening time? We don't, I mean, 
we don't know the extent of the communication they had, but we're assumed like it's like, assumed was it probably was limited. Some. Well, I mean, they had to have some communication for her to be showing up at the Hermitage, and he's like, "Okay, it's yours now." Well, I think it's a little bit of he heard about what happened. She knew he was there, so she went she, to him. Mm-hmm. Okay, that and he sense. said, and he was like. Well, it was probably a little bit his fault that they got kicked out. A little? (laughs) Yeah. And so, basically, I think it's a little bit of him taking responsibility and trying to protect her. Mm -hmm. She goes on to list how he carries on his letter. First, you revealed the persecution you suffered from your teachers. Then the supreme treachery of mutilation of your person. Then describe the abominable jealousy and violent attacks of your fellow students. You did not gloss over what at their insinuation was done to your distinguished theological work or what uh, amounted to a prison sentence passed on yourself. And then you went on to the plotting against you by your abbot and the false brethren, the serious slanders from those pseudo-apostles. You went on to the incessant, intolerable person Executions which you endure at the hands of the, that cruel tyrant and the evil monks you called your sons, and brought and so brought your sad story to the end. And then she kind of kind of gets a little pissed at him, like you know, she. I feel like he could have given her a heads up that he was writing this letter that he knew was going to get around. Yeah, like hey, heads up! <laughs> I'm putting all the sordid details of our whole life out there. Maybe brace yourself a little. Yeah, and basically, she tells you... Um, it's a handy outline of that letter, though. Mm-hmm, it is. Um, how my sorrow for your loss is nothing compared to what I feel for the manner in which I lost you. Surely the greater cause of grief, the greater need for help of consult- in consolidation. And this no one can bring but you you are the sole cause of my sorrow <laughs> and you alone can grant me the grace of consolation you alone have the power to make me sad to bring me happiness or comfort you alone have so great a debt to repay me particularly now when i've carried out all of your orders so imp- implicitly that when i was powerless to oppose you and anything i found my strength at your command to destroy myself Get i did more Strange to say, my love rose to such heights of madness that it robbed itself of what it most desired beyond hope of recovery. When immediately at your bidding, I changed my clothing along with my mind in order to prove you the sole possessor of my body and will alike. So basically, she's like, I did. I loved you so much. I became a nun. I didn't want this. Right. She's saying, I did all of this for you. And you put out this letter that's full of self-pity without even telling me you were going to do it. What the fuck? She continues on to basically said, I didn't want to marry you. I wanted, I loved you for your mind. I would have been your concubine. Um, and just for time's sake, because I know this is going long, they go back and forth. And basically he responds with moral and religious advice. Skirt the issue. Good call. Yeah. Um, Don't acknowledge her feelings in any way, I'm sure. He's like, I didn't mean to hurt you. And she then gets mad because Even if he didn't mean to of hurt how her, he did. Well, she wasn't happy by how he uh, ordered the letter. So she, like, you know, is like basically like, uh, and he, he titles his letter to Eloise, his dearly beloved sister in Christ from Abelard, her brother and him. 
after all of the things she wrote just in the heading and, and she's like wait what yeah and she goes to her only one after christ from his only one in christ and my favorite part is in her letters i don't remember exactly where it is but she basically says everyone thinks i'm pure and chaste and <laughs> there are certain points in mass where she's not thinking about the mass <laughs> oh no it was yeah, let me see if oh God. Let me see if I can find it because it's actually really funny. Oh, I found it. Okay. Okay. So in her fourth letter of this book, she she even tells him, like, I'm I'm not as religious as everyone thinks I am. In my case, the pleasure of lovers which we had shared had been too sweet. They cannot displease me and can scarcely shift from my memory wherever I turn they are always there before my eyes bringing with them awakened longings and fantasies which will not even let me sleep even during the celebrations of the mass when our prayers should be pure lewd visions of those pleasures take such a hold upon my unhappy soul that my thoughts are on their wantonness instead of prayers I should be groaning over the sins I have committed but can only sigh over what I have lost for what I have lost girl what so basically she's saying I didn't want this and I I loved you in the sense that I wished we could have been together we didn't have to be married I didn't want it which is really so you that's know. where she's saying everything went wrong was where she capitulated and married him against her mm-hmm. own judgment yeah. And in this fifth letter from Abelard to Eloise, he says, to the bride of Christ from his servant. And he acknowledges, Eloise, the reason why I treat you such is because you're smarter than me. He acknowledges she's like the one person smarter than him. and Which for him is like straight up romantic. Yeah. Still does not That's comfort her. the highest compliment he can pay her. Yeah, it's basically. not comforting, but coming from him. Yeah. And... <laughs> I see there's one point where it almost seems like he's saying he loves her, but it's never he's never really out like right like she is. Yeah. Meanwhile, every other letter she writes in my bed is probably like, I loved you so much it destroyed me. Basically. So basically it ends where they continue writing back and forth, but a lot of people debate whether or not they actually it's clear that she loved him. Mm -hmm. The question is more did he love her? On and some level, I would say he did. But I think more consciously for him, he was using her to get what he wanted. Yeah. And I mean, it's an interesting view on this period that's more human than most people expect. Because right. they're debating questions of love, marriage, education, men and women's rights. All the stuff that everyone assumes was decided in society by that point. Yeah. So we continue on. So they write back and forth about five years that we have the letters that's mm-hmm. the key thing we have these letters you can go read them and then in 1140 or 41 Abelard gets accused of heresy by saint bernard at the council of Sens. okay Abelard then goes and appeals to rome <laughs> i just love <laughs> pope innocent ii condemns him to perpetual silence <laughs> Which, remember, what is Abelard's cycle of 
life. He's always running his mouth off. He's always fighting everyone verbally. And you're like, Abelard, shut up. And the Pope finally says, no, stop it. Shut up. (laughs) Um, Bernegard then publishes Abelard's Confessions of the Faith. And Abelard, again, he remember, he's accused of heresy. So basically, he's being protected at this point by Peter the Venerable. Mm-hmm. And he ends up dying in 42 or 44. Okay. Again, fuzzy dates. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good t-shirt, fuzzy dates. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Clunaric Priory at St. Marcel, which in my head, it just Marcel the Shell. <laughs> So he dies at a priory, and the problem is he's excommunicated at this point. So he's not buried in holy ground. Yeah. But good old Peter in 44, um, writes, he writes back and forth to Eloise. And um, let me guess, she begs for him to have Christian burial. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right for her. Yeah. So she says... Um, May it please you to send me also under the seal of an open document containing the absolution of our master to be hung on our tomb. Mm-hmm. Remember yep. also, for the love of God, our astrolabe and yours, so that you may obtain for him some prebend either from the Bishop of Paris or in some other diocese. So basically, she asks Peter. So she's playing on the heartstrings to try to get him to do the right thing yeah plus i mean eloise is a well-known respected abbess Mm -hmm. at this point she's famous in her own right right her word has just as much sway it probably actually has more sway at this point because she's not an asshole right um but yeah so she still has this she has more respect and so peter writes back to eloise And he says, I am therefore sending you now that I have left you a ratification of the gift of a trental, which I made you in person in writing and under seal as you wish. I'm also sending you the absolution for Master Peter as you you asked for, written similarly on parchment and sealed. As soon as I have an opportunity, I would gladly do my best to obtain a prebend in one of the the great churches for your astrolabe, who is also ours for your sake it will not be easy for the bishops as i have often found who are apt are apt to show themselves extremely difficult when occasions are have arisen for them to give prebends in their churches but for your sake i will i will do what i can as soon as i can so she gets uh abelard's absolution okay so they can put it on his tomb and say no he's good right he's good um and Peter's going to work on getting a job for Astrolabe. But, I mean, think about it. How hard is it to get that kid a job? Everyone knows who his dad is, and his yeah. dad's pissed off most people. Yep. Um, Eloise lives another 20-ish years. She dies in 1163 or 64, and she was the abbess still of Parcelette. Mm-hmm. So she, and I believe they're married together, which is really kind of sweet. Oh yeah, considering what an asshole Abelard is. Oh, absolutely. So, a more interesting, complex kind of idea of the Middle Ages for October. Indeed, that was very uh, informative. 
It was very informative. We apologize for any sound mess ups. Uh, we're trying a new method of recording. So if, and we were having a little bit of connectivity issues. So if our audio fluctuates in quality, that would be why. So apologies. Also, for that. I had to move. Um, also, yes. Yeah, my normal recording space, there is a fridge being moved out of my house tomorrow in the basement. So I had to move. It was not fun. <laughs> she got real sweaty. Oh, God, it got bad. Yeah, I did get real sweaty. My room was really hot. It, um, so thanks for listening to Cult of Domesticity. Um, remember to subscribe, um, rate and subscribe on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. And if you're looking to connect with us on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook, our username is at Domestic Podcast. Um, you can leave feedback directly on our Facebook timeline, I believe, or in a private message. That's up to you. Yeah, tweet, Facebook us. We're, we're there. We're all about it. It's great. Yeah. We also provide additional facts and fun hints on our next episode. Indeed. And be on the lookout for our recipe of the week feature, which will probably be on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. It should be on both, and it'll most likely come out on Sunday. So check out on Sunday for our recipe of the week. Um, it'll be one of us making something delicious, I assume. And if you'd like, you can submit your own recipe through the Facebook page so that we can try it and give some feedback. Yeah. Ashley, high five. Cross. High five. Psh, psh. Good job. <laughs> We're so awkward. <laughs>